Excellent. So, yeah, it's really good to see you. Happy Easter again. Uh, I grew up in, from when I was very small to when I was not quite as small in the Anglican tradition, so it's always like, I always kind of feel on Easter it should be a, he is risen. Hallelujah. Well, then Angela is the only person that knows what I'm talking about, so um, excellent. So, um, yeah, today we're thinking about Easter, but the passage that Angela read to us is potentially one of the most depressing sounding passages in the Bible. But we'll get there shortly. So, I've uh, called what I've been thinking about this week, two stories walk into a bar, okay? Which you may think, that's it's not the kind of thing I would normally talk about in church. But, um, or that would not normally be the, the thing you'd see on the screen. So, in the pub. So, I'm just going to give you a bit of background to this whole idea. And it's a, it started off with me, hello, and somebody, um, somebody that I knew, who annoyingly is also called Richard, so it's quite difficult to, for you to remember who's playing what part in the story. So there's two of us, two Richards, walk into a bar. Um, and we didn't go out, because it was an iron bar, it was an actual pub. Um, so he came round to my house, knocked on my door, connecting his knuckles with the, the glass, that's how you knock on the door, and um, I answered the door, he said, hello, do you want to go to the pub? So I thought, this is, yeah, yes, yes, I'm not doing anything tonight, let's go and have a chat. Um, he was a friend from where I used to live in Alfreton, not a Christian, very much not a Christian, really loved the fact that he wasn't a Christian. So he came round, knocked on the door, and we went to the pub. I think he had a Guinness, and I had London Pride by Fuller's. That's just an aside, if you want to kind of get the extra context. Now, if, if we were there in picture form, you would see that happening. Um, so I'm kind of playing out for you. So we were there, having a chat in the pub, sat at a table, one on each side, not directly opposite, one kind of me, here, him, there, chatting at a diagonal. So, excellent. So we were having a chat, and very pleasant, kind of, how are you, all those sort of things, what's been going on, bit of a catch-up since I last saw him. When I first met him, uh, I met him in a different pub, playing dominoes, and I met him and his dad and his dad's friend, and I won at dominoes, so he was very impressed that I could play fives and threes and took 50p off them. So that was an excellent introduction. So if you ever want to play fives and threes, come and see me later. So anyway, we're in the pub. We'll get back on t- track in a minute. So we're in the pub having a chat. And we got on to talking about Christianity and religion and things like that. And he is very much not a Christian. You know, he really likes Richard Dawkins. He talks about, um, he's a, a geneticist. He talks about evolution and those sort of things and the fact that God doesn't exist. And if God were to exist, that would be a really bad thing. So we were there chatting about this and we were talking about religion. Um, and he kind of told me that he thought that my job as a Christian youth worker was essentially inhumane. Um, because he was quite a... Well, he wasn't an atheist, he was kind of an anti-theist. He was you know, really against the idea that God is a good idea even in that. So he thought my job was inhumane, but more about that later... Um, he hadn't been along to see what we were doing so he couldn't prove it he didn't know if I was like hitting the children or anything like that Um, some of them but not all of them so it wasn't entirely inhumane so we were chatting and basically we were talking about different things and what different the kind of different lives that we had and the different meanings that we found in our lives and it basically got to the point where he said look there isn't a God and there isn't any meaning in life so what are you doing stupid in fact, it's worse than stupid. It's, you know, you're telling kids lies. That's what you do with your job. Um, there's no meaning. So his basic 
premise that he was coming to. Was, you know, God doesn't exist, there's no meaning to, meaning to life, so ha! And that was his big argument. There's no meaning to life, so there. And, you know, that's almost what some people think. Um, my response to that was, I don't quite agree, because uh, I believe that there is a God, and there is an absolute, and because of that there is meaning and real purpose in life. He didn't get converted that day, or any days following, as far as I'm aware, but um, yeah, we had a good chat about it, and he, yeah, neither of us were converted that day, should we say. I wasn't converted to him, and he wasn't converted to me, but we remained friends, so that was nice, we could chat again. And eventually, we finished our drinks, left the pub, still friends, and um, I saw him around town, or his dad around town, and they never played dominoes with me again. So, you may be thinking, what is all that about? However, as just an aside, I was watching Cuckoo. Has anyone seen Cuckoo on the BBC? It's okay. Excellent. At least somebody has, so I will play this anecdote out with you. So, there were two, two of the, the, the idea of two stories walk into a bar. There were two stories that walked into that bar. My story, there is a God. There is meaning to life. God gives purpose. His story was, there is no God, and even if there was, that would be a bad thing. Therefore, life has no meaning whatsoever. Cuckoo. On there, it had, um, there's kind of a family, and this strange boy comes in, marries the daughter um, from a kind of... She goes travelling in Thailand or somewhere, gets married to this kind of lunatic, comes back, and they're kind of chatting, and the dad is very much an atheist, um, and he kind of can't understand how his daughter's got wrapped up with this boy who's very spiritual, and she's like, well, I've, you've read The God Delusion. You know, I've, and he says to his wife, I've, I've explained it to you in great detail, because you haven't read it. And later on, his other son turns to me and says, yeah, you're right, Dad. There is no meaning to life. Therefore, we should just get on accruing, what was it, uh, money, what was it, and having fun, like accruing money and sexual partners and not caring who we hurt in the process. Which is really odd, isn't it? Because that's essentially the story that some people have is life doesn't have any meaning. Therefore, I can do what I want and if it hurts somebody else, doesn't really matter because... At the end of it, their life's meaningless too. Which is, you know, strange that some people actually live with that story. Whereas, for me as a Christian, I believe that there is a God. And because there is a God who loves us, that means that life has meaning. That we don't just kind of end up walking around on this earth, um, people who don't have any reason to be here. We're just here by random chance. And, and if you bump into somebody in the street, you don't have to say sorry for, for bumping into them because, you know, it's all meaningless what goes on anyway. And really, our whole lives don't play out around the fact that even if we kind of think big picture-wise, there isn't a God, there's no meaning. We don't live out that life because if we did, we'd probably feel really bad about it. If I lived out the life of thinking what I do doesn't matter and if I hurt somebody to get what I want, that doesn't matter. We don't live out that life. Whether we believe in God or not, we don't kind of hurt people to get what we want most of the time. We don't think, I don't care about you, I'm just going to do what I want to do all the time. Sometimes you might see or hear people that do, but most of us don't live out that life because it doesn't fit with who we are as human beings. So they're the two big stories. And I saw it twice then. So two big stories. So one, there's no God, there's no meaning. One, there is a God, and that means that there is meaning. So, I think that leads us in life onto a hunt for meaning for everyone. So when Angela read us the passage from the book of Ecclesiastes, now I wouldn't recommend if you are, maybe if you're in a really 
really dark place personally, um, kind of depressed or you know, stood on the edge of a cliff feeling sad, to turn to Ecclesiastes necessarily and just start reading from the beginning. Because how does Solomon, who writes this book, start? Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Utterly meaningless. You know, that's not necessarily the opening to um, a great encouraging novel. So, well, he writes this, this book. And he goes through, and he just goes through all sorts of things. So he says, like, so like, knowledge is all right, but it's meaningless. Money is all right, but it's meaningless. Because if you are, say, you're a really witch, a really rich chap, really rich chap, and you've got a couple of sons, and they're stupid, when you die, all that money that you kind of got together by working hard, being really clever, doing good business, it's going to go to these stupid sons, and they're going to fritter it away on penny sweets and. I know silly cars or whatever it is they're going to spritter it away on. Um, so it's, it's, it's pointless. And he goes through this until the very end. Oh, I've turned too many pages. Until the very end of the book. And Solomon is somebody who really tries to find meaning in life. He goes through and he tries everything. He tries, you know, accruing sexual partners. We know that from like, the history in the Bible. He had, I think it was 300 wives, 700 concubines. Christmas Day would have been quite busy around their house, but fortunately for Solomon, this was before Jesus, so there was no Christmas. But um, yeah, he would have probably needed some of the help with uh, all his mother-in-laws. If you've got 300 of them, they might argue between themselves, my mother-in-law is lovely, get that on tape, she is absolutely splendid. Um, and we were around there for lunch, and it was excellent. So please do tell her if you see her. Can you imagine that? All those people to try and either please, or really annoy by pleasing one of others all at the same time. He tried everything to find meaning in life. And if you flick to the end in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, he finishes up right near the end of it with this. He says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. What he says is, I've tried everything. I've tried to find meaning in life, in everything. I've tried to find it in wealth, in wisdom, in folly. I've tried to find it in money. I've tried to find it in family. I've tried to find it in power and like political power and the conclusion of the matter is love God and do what he asks you to do when he says fear God and keep his commands he's saying look it's kind of fear in the sense that you would fear and love and respect kind of a good father is what he's saying he says, love God as though he is your perfect father who wants the best for you and do what he wants you to do as though he is your perfect father who has the best uh, in his heart for you all the time. So that's Solomon's conclusion. It is that God is there, that he is good, and he wants the best for you. And all these other things, they don't bring you happiness. If you get all the money in the world, Solomon, when we read through the Bible, he's kind of shown as this man who had so like, unimaginable amounts of wealth. He was so wealthy. Um, but he says, yeah, at the end of it, that's not what's made him happy. He goes to, well... We know that he's had all these wives and concubines, which some people think will bring them happiness. But he says, that's not going to bring you happiness. That's not going to bring you fulfillment. That's not going to give your life meaning. And all the other things, he says, aren't going to give your life meaning. But I think also, we as human beings and creatures, we are people who strive after meaning all the time. Whoever we are, like whatever we do, whether we're Christian or not Christian, we're always striving after some kind of big story to live among um, and then, and I think if you go into Smiths in town, um, you'll see that. And I don't, 
And that's not because there are people in there that are, you know, really weird trying to explain that all the time, although there's a book you can buy. But if you go to the magazine rack, you will see all the different kind of heavens that people are trying to get to. And by that I mean, if you're... Well, so I do archery week to week, and some of the people there live for archery. I'm not being funny. Their whole life is based around it. All the competitions... They get them down in their diary. They try and make them all. They try and get all the points they can. If they get a record, everyone knows about it. You know, they'll show you on their phone. They'll get onto the, the records website. Look, there I am. Still got that. Yeah. One of them showed me the day the kind of 13 records he had. It's like, very nice. Well done. Excellent. You know, but that's what they live. They live for archery. But then if you go into Smithton Town and you look at the magazine rack, you will see, like, mountain biking heaven. So you get the holy book. What is it, Mountain Biking UK or whatever it is? That is a magazine. And you read through and you look at all these perfect things that are going to give you happiness. You know, you say, ooh, a new bike, that'll be excellent. Fancy pair of shoes, I could do with those, because they'll make all the difference. And you think, you know, if I get all this stuff, then I'll be really happy. I'll build my life's meaning around my bike until it gets a puncture, then I'll be really annoyed. Um, it's also true that a lot of time, if you see, if you've ever seen it on telly when the mountain bikers are doing the kind of ridiculous courses and they fall off and their bike you know, either tumbles off the other way or sometimes they just kind of carry on down the street on their own, which is always good. The first thing they do when they kind of come out of whatever state they're in on the floor, they uncurl themselves from this mess. No matter what blood is pouring down, they say, how's my bike? You know, because that is, that is everything that they live for. They live for cycling. They live for their bike. And yeah, that's what they want to know, if it's all right. Because they've put all this time and effort and energy into it. They've gone to work to raise the cash to buy this great bike. And then they clean it really fastidiously. But then there's all sorts of other things. There's like knitting world. If you're not into you know, mountain biking down the side of a hill, you might be into rocking chairs and knitting. Um, and you might like say, what's the latest pattern? Can I do that? I don't understand uh, really knitting. I can knit, but I have probably forgotten how to. I didn't believe it worked, you see. That was my problem. I didn't believe that knitting actually worked until I learned how it worked. And I believe it does work. Um, so yes. But you can go and buy Knitting World. It's is the point. And there's Knitting Heaven. There's all these different patterns. Probably all sorts of different needles you can buy. Is that right? Yeah, great. Just uh, proof there. But all sorts. So you can look at them all. And you find that people pour out their meaning into life by what they, they do. They find something. They cling to it. And they give life meaning. But ultimately, all of those things can't bring us eternal, perfect happiness. Because whatever they are, they're, they're kind of temporary things. Something can break, so your knitting needle might break halfway through a, a really difficult stitch. I don't know if that's possible, but I will assume it is. Your, you know, your, your tyre might go flat when you're on a really difficult part of the course, or you're just about to hit a really long downhill stretch, thinking this will be brilliant. You've got a flat tyre, you have to stop, get off, sort it out and carry on. So we all hunt in life for meaning. Whatever it is, whoever we are, we all, oh that works, that's good, hunt for meaning. And actually, for the chap that I was in the pub with, his meaning, his life was based around the fact that he could prove that God didn't exist. And that meant everything was meaningless. But that was the meaning to his life. Almost ironically, it was like, I can be absolutely 98% certain that God doesn't exist. Therefore, that is the meaning in my life. Which I thought was quite odd, because his whole thesis was that life didn't have any meaning. But he was really, you know, his holy book is the God delusion. And Richard Dawkins is his God. So he had, he'd kind of created meaning, pointing at something else, saying, that's got no meaning. Which was like, it was really odd to sit there with him and talk about these things. So, yeah, so Solomon says, 
the conclusion of the matter, all meaning comes from God. We should love God. We should do what God wants us to do. Because that is the best thing for all of us. And he really tried. He really tried everything. If you read through Ecclesiastes, it's a really interesting book. You get all sorts of different funny phrases in there. And some, yeah, some great bits for them. But if you do read it, try read it all the way through so you get to the ending. Uh, otherwise you're going to get really depressed halfway through. So... So Solomon has the conclusion that because there's God, there's meaning. And I don't know where everyone kind of is today, whether they think there is meaning in life, there isn't meaning in life, whether there's a God in your life, whether there isn't a God in your life. Um, But the Bible's really clear about the fact that there is a God. Now you might say that the Bible's a biased book because it's all about God. Well, it is. And it's all about God because Solomon's tried everything and he says that God is the only thing that makes sense and gives meaning to life. We all live out a life that portrays a hunt for meaning. And as we look to the Bible, we see that human beings are made to be people and things that hunt for meaning in life because there is a meaning. There's an ultimate meaning. Solomon hits the nail on the head when he says it's about loving God and doing what he wants. Right at the beginning of the Bible, we hear that people are made with the meaning of reflecting God. They're they're made to kind of reflect God's glory to the entire world. That's what we're here for. We're not just kind of random bits of chance of fluff that have flown together and make up this nice, smiling, beautiful person stood before you. We're, we're people... Thank you for laughing. Um, we're these things that are meant to image God and share God's presence with the world. And because of that, we have meaning. But the problem is, and this is where we're gradually heading towards uh, Easter, the problem is, in the beginning, that image, that, that purpose, that being um, God's image on the earth was broken. Because instead of loving God and doing what he wants us to do, Adam and Eve turned in on themselves. They, they stopped loving God and they loved themselves. And they broke away from God. And the image that they were trying to, to, to give out to the world stopped being what God wanted it to be. It started being what they wanted it to be. Um, they, they wanted to, to be God themselves rather than let God be God and work from that to give them their perfect meaning. And actually, that goes on through the rest of the Bible. That goes on today. We, we don't strive to let God be the kind of person who, who gives us our meaning and live out of that. We let something else take its place. We let, you know, yeah, like I say, we let mountain biking take its place. We let work take God's place. We let family take God's place. And the thing is, all of these things... They're kind of all right in themselves and of themselves. But if they become our ultimate, our, our kind of perfect, our God, then they push God out of the picture and we struggle to find meaning. And if somebody comes and starts poking at those things, you know, if somebody, if you kind of like, if you're one of these people who, who lives for your hobby, so if I was one of these guys living for archery, uh, like I, I know some of them, and if somebody started coming and poking at me, saying, oh, it's a bit stupid, isn't it? Living for a hobby like archery, that's a bit bit of a waste of time, isn't it? I mean, it's not got any good end in itself. I'd be really offended and really upset and because then when I look, kind of looked at it from their eyes, you know, it does look a bit stupid. So it's a, like a bit of wood with a string and some sticks and a bale of hay that I'm shooting at. You know, but, but if our life is meant to have real meaning and purpose and that real meaning and purpose comes from God, then there is something that, you know, you can poke it as much as you want but it is going to withstand and you're not going to ever be able to say that 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 is stupid. So anyway, so our meaning and our purpose can get mixed up. Adam and Eve swapped God 
for themselves. And we keep on doing that up to this day. And the problem is that God can see that and he realises that if we live our lives out trying to find for ourselves a meaning, trying to make our own meaning out of whatever we want to do, whatever it is, he knows what that ends up. He knows that if we reject God here, that we reject God forever. And when we stand before him, we don't have a hope of entering into the perfect peace and rest and love that God wants us to be in for eternity. And the way that God deals with that is at the first Easter. So so you've had the first Christmas, that's when Jesus comes along. And if Solomon had lived after that, that's when it would have been an absolute nightmare for him. So you have the first Christmas, Jesus comes as a little baby. God, in human form, enters into the human race. He doesn't kind of send down a letter from heaven saying, look, you've got it wrong, chaps. If you just, like, stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right, then it'll be fine. God himself comes out of heaven. He comes into this world as a small, tiny little baby wrapped up in stuff who grows up. You know, he goes through all the difficult things that we go through, doors, things like that, Uh, stubbing his toe, breaking his nails, which I'm told is tragic, Um, all those sorts of things. All those things happen to Jesus as he's growing up. And ultimately, it gets to the end of his life. When Jesus has lived out this life that Solomon says, love God and do what he wants us to do, Jesus gets to the end of his life. And he's taken by people who, who you know, mistreat him, they, they don't give him a fair trial. And he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he's crucified, he dies, he's separated from God. But the reason that Jesus goes to the cross is... Because everybody else in the world at some point has replaced God with something else. They've, they've made something else their God. They've rejected the true God and they've made themselves a new story to live in. Jesus comes down and he says, all those things that you've replaced God with, they're all things that have upset God and they've made him, you know, they've kind of affected him to his heart and they'll affect you to your heart. They're all things that are wrong. And if you want to get rid of those things that are wrong, you can put your faith and your trust in me. Because all those things that are wrong and have upset God, God is going to pour out his, his wrath on. It's, you know, the Bible talks about God's wrath being kind of poured out. God's, yeah, the stuff that God is cross at, he's really angry at, is going to be um, yeah, destroyed and separated from him for eternity. But Jesus comes along and says, look, if you want, if you get this, if you can understand that you have replaced God, with something else that you've made your meaning, if you realise, actually, not only God is another option, but God is a better and the best option for meaning in your life. All the things that you've replaced God with, if you want, I will take all those things that you've done wrong, all the things that you've replaced God with. So you could take, I know, yeah, all the times we've, we've done things for our own ends, our own, our own glory, take all those things that we've done wrong, let alone the times when we've, we've done things that are just down, um, you know, just cruel and and mean and wrong that we know. I'll take all those things that upset God, that make God cross, I'll take them all on myself and I'll take those to the cross. And there, the Bible tells us that God's wrath was satisfied. So Jesus took all of God's anger on the cross. And at that point, Jesus dies and he he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at one point, God has to separate himself from Jesus so he can deal with all the sin there that is placed on him. Then Jesus goes into the grave and he spends a couple of days in the tomb. And a couple of days later, well, 
goes into the tomb. A couple of days later, he rises again. He's brought back to life from death. And that doesn't normally happen. Hey, occasional casualty, somebody dies, 30 seconds later, they're brought back to life. But a couple of days later, Jesus rises from death. And the reason that we hear about that so amazingly and why we celebrate that every Easter is because when God brings Jesus back to life, the words that God effectively says at that point is, my son, I'm satisfied with what you've done. All the sin that you gave your life for has been dealt with. My anger has been dealt with on the cross. So now if somebody wants me to be their ultimate meaning in life, me to be their their kind of goal, their purpose, they can come to me, they can ask for my forgiveness, and all their sins can be dealt with. All the things that they've ever done wrong can be placed on Jesus when he went to the cross. No more do they have to deal with them themselves. So ultimately, we have to make our own conclusion. Either we say, life is meaningless, you know, I'm just going to do what I want, you know, eat, drink and be merry and hope it all works out fine in the long run. Or, my life has meaning and that meaning has to come from somewhere. And I say, and the Bible says, that that meaning comes from the fact that there is a God who is a loving Father who wants to pour his love out into our hearts. He wants to, to have us in perfect relationship with himself. And the reason that we are people who live out meaning, live out um, trying to be nice to one another is that's because who, that's who God is God isn't somebody who's, who's kind of sat up in, in heaven somewhere wanting to be cruel to people we like to be nice to each other because we're made to reflect the people who God is, like who God is so we have to come to our own conclusion either life is meaningless and we just eat, drink and be merry or there is a God, there is meaning in life and actually if I let God shape my meaning, shape who I am then the life that I will lead will be the one that will make me the most human. He'll make me the most um, yeah, fully human. I'll be able to, to love people better. I'll be able to, to serve people better. I'll be able to relate to people better because God has told me what it means to be fully human. And all those things only make sense when we come to Easter and we see that Jesus paid the penalty for sin and he rose again because God was satisfied with what he'd done. I'll leave that there and let you hopefully think about that and um, I'll pray and then we'll sing Father we thank you that yeah, Father we thank you that Jesus your perfect son came to this world he lived and he went to the cross and he died and he took all the sin of the world Father we thank you that your wrath was satisfied um, by his sacrifice Father we thank you that our sins can be forgiven. We can have a right relationship with you. Father, we thank you that that means that, that we can know you, that we can hear from you, we can talk to you, we can know you as our loving Father. And Father, we thank you that that doesn't just last until we die, but that will last into eternity if we accept um, yeah, what you've done through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you as well that you can give us a true and perfect and pure meaning to our life here on earth. Father, we thank you that um, yeah, when we know you and we understand who it is that you want us to be, that makes us more and more human, because that's what you want us to be like. Father, we thank you for, yeah, for these really enormous and, and sometimes confusing truths. Father, I pray that you would really reveal your son to us. Father, we thank you for, for the cross. We thank you that Jesus rose from the grave. And Father, we thank you that 
he went on to ascend into heaven and he's at your side now so that if we come to know him, we come to know you and we can have that perfect relationship that he does with you. Amen.